0: Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com.
1: This is episode 355, and we're talking about our top 10 things to do in New Zealand.
0: We were going to be in Girona when we said this, but in fact, we're now in Porto. We could not find a quiet place in the entire city of Girona for the last week. You know why?
1: You know, I think it might have been because of the Flower Festival. We were in Girona at a time of the Tomst Floors. There were about 150 floral displays and sculptures all around the city. It's a very busy festival.
0: Someone told me they get like 100,000 people a day coming through because of it.
1: That's right. We were in Girona because our friends, Pete and Dailene Heck, and Sherry Ott were there. They're going to be spending a month there. And because we'd just spent two weeks in Barcelona looking after those small dogs we mentioned in our last podcast, we were pretty close, so we thought we'd go up and see them. But in true style, we didn't realize that there was a huge event going on. So we were really, really lucky to find accommodation. It was very nice, but it wasn't a very quiet place to record.
0: We had a great time, great food in Girona, beautiful city, lots of Game of Thrones was filmed there, which was cool. One of my highlights was probably going up the coast, up the Costa Brava a little bit to a small town where we heard some folk singing. You know, I think, okay, it's going to be Catalan folk singing, but in fact, it's Cuban folk singing that's been brought on board and kind of kept alive in Catalonia.
1: Yeah, it's very strange. A lot of the songs are sung in Castilian-Spanish. But some are sung in Catalan Spanish, so it's quite funny. We're sitting around, and Terry's going, translate for me, translate for me. And some of them I could translate, and some of them I just said, you know what, I still don't speak Catalan. And she's like, this is just not good enough, Linda.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got a little clip of that which we'll play for you at the end of the episode. So hang in there, and you'll get to hear some habanero. Well, this episode of the Indie Travel Podcast is sponsored by worldnomads.com. World Nomads provides travel insurance you can buy, extend, and claim on even if you're already traveling, which makes it pretty unique.
1: Yeah, I remember the first time we found out about World Nomads, and it was so exciting because when we first started traveling, we were idiots, so we didn't have travel insurance, and we needed it for some reason. We were going somewhere we thought we'd be a little bit unsafe, and there was no one, no travel insurance would insure us just for the week or something that we wanted. We had to buy insurance while we are in our home country, and World Nomads was the I don't know, the saviour insurance company that allowed us to buy while we were already traveling.
0: But they're more than just a travel insurance provider. They are committed to travel and especially independent adventure-minded travelers. You can see this from everything from their travel safety advice to their scholarship opportunities.
1: Yeah, and they've also just launched a whole new section featuring top-notch travel writing and they're commissioning new work all the time, which is pretty cool. So yeah, check out worldnomads.com for more information.
0: Well, today we're looking at the top things to do in New Zealand, and we have taken our list down to 10, but I think we do cheat a little bit and add in like four or five things under some of these points.
1: Yeah, yeah, but we're allowed to. (laughs) (laughs) It's our
0: list after all.
1: So let's start with something that New Zealand is pretty famous for. Bear in mind, New Zealand, it's quite a lot of different islands, but there's two main islands, North Island and South Island. It's located in the South Pacific Ocean, just off to the side of Australia. Well, Australia is just off to the side of New Zealand, really. And that means that we have a lot of ocean, surrounded by ocean. In fact, if you hop in a plane and you travel for two hours, you will get nowhere. You will get to more ocean. So if you want to leave New Zealand, you need to travel for at least kind of three hours by plane.
0: Yeah, contrary to popular belief, the Sydney Harbour Bridge does not connect with the Auckland Harbour Bridge.
1: <laughs> so yes, lots of, lots of sea. So our first point is whale spot or swim with the dolphins. Hang out in that ocean.
0: Yeah, you can do that in places like the Bay of Islands, Kaikoura and Akaroa, all the way from the almost the top of the North Island to almost the bottom of the South Island. Each bit of ocean's different, each experience is different, each set of marine life is different. But in every case, uh, everything's really closely monitored by the New Zealand Department of Conservation. So there's no captives and it's all very uh, low impact for the animals that you're going with.
1: So the Bay of Islands is located probably about three hours' drive north of Auckland, and it's a wonderful place. If you're coming into New Zealand and you just want to spend a few days in a country, I would recommend flying to Auckland and just go up there and explore. We spend quite a lot of time up there. And I remember the first time we did a a dolphin-watching cruise. It was a familiar trip for the language school we were working with, and we had a very nice dinner the night before, possibly a bit too much to drink. The next day we went on the boat. None of us were feeling all that epic, and we didn't see any dolphins. It was a bit of a disappointment. It was. But the next time we were up, we did see some. We went on this little cruise and saw so many dolphins. It was so great.
0: Yeah, it's pretty reliable. You know what? Auckland is also really reliable for whale spotting and dolphin spotting as well. A lot of people don't know that there's a marine reserve through a lot of the harbour. Just going straight out from downtown Auckland, you're almost guaranteed to see some dolphins or some whales. It's neat seeing the orcas just swimming around, and yeah, it's cool. They dive down and eat all the rays off the bottom of the sand, just like biscuits. (laughs) (laughs) We mentioned two other places, Kaikoura and Akaroa. Both of these are on the east coast of the South Island. Kaikoura up in the northeast and Akaroa almost straight up from Christchurch. Both are really great places. Kaikoura is better known for uh, sea uh, sea lions and whales. Akaroa for dolphins and uh, especially the little Hector's dolphins, which are endemic to New Zealand.
1: They're so cute. For Christmas a couple of years ago, we bought Craig's parents a dolphin watching cruise. And then last year, they bought us the same deal. So we ended up going together. And I wasn't sure what it was going to be like. And it was so cool. We saw so many dolphins. We saw some seals. We saw penguins. It was amazing. So I'd highly recommend if you're going to New Zealand, make sure to see some dolphins and maybe even some whales.
0: If that sounds a bit too laid back, how about jumping off something tall? Bungee jumping, well, commercial bungee jumping, started in New Zealand uh, with a couple of guys, the most well-known being A.J. Hackett. So A.J. Hackett bungees are now franchised throughout New Zealand.
1: What I really like about them is that they have a really good safety record, and in fact... Because it was started by A.J. Hackett, he petitioned the government to kind of set up the the laws and rules around bungee jumping, and he made them really strict. So that means that we do have this really good safety record of bungee jumping in New Zealand.
0: Yeah, there's nothing like outmanoeuvring your competition by making the national safety record your safety record.
1: Yeah, it was actually quite tricksy, but good for everybody, right? So I think the most famous place to do it is the iconic Kawarau Bridge, which is just outside of Queenstown, but there are lots of places to go bungee jumping, including off the Auckland Harbour Bridge, which was where we jumped the first time. The second time we did it, we also went out from Queenstown at the Nevis, and this was I think 134 metres high, and just imagine two mountains with a cable string between them and a pod in the middle, and you need to kind of travel out into the middle of the pod and then jump. Also imagine that it's snowing and uh, you're scared of heights and you'll get an idea of what it was like for me.
0: I don't think you're quite communicating how awesome this experience was for you.
1: What I really loved about it was as you're traveling up, they played this CD or, you know, collection of music that sounded as if the driver kept changing the channel because the songs that came on were just so not appropriate. It was all about like, I'm jumping, you know, stairway to heaven, all of this kind of thing. So, it was fun.
0: If you prefer to keep your feet on the ground, uh, consider number three, doing a great walk. So, there's heaps of hiking opportunities in New Zealand, uh, and in fact, we call it tramping. It's not hanging out in a park with a bottle of wine all to yourself. <laughs> it is to to go hiking. And there are nine Great Walks in New Zealand at the moment, and they're extending it out. But in fact, one of the Great Walks is actually a Great Kayak trip. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's a bit flexy. But some of the cool things about hiking in New Zealand are there are no large mammals, there's no venomous animals. Uh, In general, it's pretty safe if you have a little bit of bushcraft or you travel in a group, go with someone experienced. If you're on the Great Walks, they're wide, well signposted, and well looked after for the most part. So if you are interested in
1: doing a Great Walk, you should visit the DOC website. That's the Department of Conservation. You need to book in advance. And you do have to pay for your hut, which is where you're going to be staying during the hike. And it's not as cheap as you might think, but definitely worth it.
0: I think it's really cheap by international standards. I mean, we've just done one last April, the Milford track, and it was just fantastic. Spectacular. Yeah, I couldn't say more good things about it. Yeah, it was plain, it was rustic, you were sleeping in bunk beds, you were carrying your own food on your back but it was so wild and so untouched with the exception of a few meters of track and occasionally clearing some trees for safety. Just amazing.
1: Yeah, if you're interested in doing a great walk, visit com and do a search for the Milford Track. And we did a podcast about this about a year ago. So there's lots of information about preparing and how to book and that kind of thing. If you're not so interested in an overnight walk, you could do just a day walk. There are lots of them to choose from. The Department of Conservation website has lots of information about that too. And we are really big fans of short walks and longer walks. I remember the first time we decided to do an overnight walk. We weren't very prepared, and we'd seen this sign in a forest called Puketi Forest. And we decided to walk it with our friends, Danine and Anne. And yes, the track was really overgrown. We hadn't, well, we told people where we were going, but we didn't even really know where we were going. (laughs) Didn't have very good maps. It was an adventure, but I think we could have done better. So the next time we went to a place called Kawika Forest Park and it was awesome because there in the middle of the forest was a hot spring and someone had put some big fishing tubs in there. So they had two big tubs that fit six people each. So 12 people could basically have a spa in the middle of the forest and it was just so cool. There was a hut that you could stay at about maybe about 15 minutes, walk back up the track. But we had our tents and so we were just camping right nearby. And it was, I mean, it was something like $6 a night or something ridiculous like that. So cool.
0: So whenever you're going walking in New Zealand, realize that things can be a bit more rugged than you might be used to. Certainly the walking tracks in New Zealand are a lot more rugged than the ones I've seen anywhere in Europe. So always take a map with you as well as your phone. Take more food than you need. Take clothing for all occasions. And let someone know where you're going and when you plan to be back. If you're traveling by yourself, you can speak with local accommodation people. You can call up the local police. You can call the Department of Conservation and register that you're planning to be in here for X number of days. And you'll get in touch when you get back out. Really important and uh, helps search and rescue find people all the time.
1: Yeah, we really do recommend you do this. On the Great Walks, you're required to sign in every night, which I think is a really good safety feature.
0: So the best way to see a lot of New Zealand has to be as a road trip. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. If you're going to be in New Zealand for a while, consider buying your car and then selling it again before you go. Uh, But You can also rent, rent a camper van, rent a car Whatever you do, hit the road because it allows you to stop in and see all of the little quirky, funny places along the way and allows you to get out of the city and along the coasts and up into the mountains doing whatever catches your attention.
1: One thing we often do is we just take our car, maybe throw a tent in the back and drive around. You can also stay in hostels, hotels, motels. There's plenty of accommodation around the place, including holiday parks, which have a variety of accommodation. We recommend you use the Department of Conservation campsites. They can be really good value. They're very basic, but if you've got a tent, you don't really need that much else. You could also consider hiring a campervan. Uh, we've talked before about the spaceship campervans that we've used many times in the past. And in fact, the last time we had a spaceship, we did end up staying at a dock campsite just for one night, and it worked really
0: well. Yeah. Camping wherever you want or freedom camping has been completely overrun in the last five years or so. So councils are getting tougher to keep down on pollution. So it's only allowed in really limited designated areas now.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, a few people have ruined it for everyone. They've camped wherever they'd like. They've left rubbish all over the place. Some people have you know, defecated and things like that. It's It's been really terrible, really all over the news, and local bodies and local people have become really angry. It's frustrating because if everyone had just played the game and cleaned up after themselves, this wouldn't be a problem. But this means that now you're not really allowed to just camp wherever you like.
0: Yeah, so things are a bit more complex, but we found the CamperMate app to be really handy in finding opportunities for camping, for motels, for hostels. And for freedom camping areas as well, while we were traveling around over the last summer.
1: Yeah. And please, if you do go, make sure to clean up after yourself. It will be better for everyone.
0: So thing number five of things to do in New Zealand is to visit the Milford Sound. Now, if you go to do the Milford Track, which we recommended, you're already there. But uh, otherwise, it can really be worth the visit if you'd like to see some mountains rolling down into beautiful fjords.
1: It's one of these just amazing, dramatic kind of locations. The scenery is spectacular. Apparently, it's one of the most easily accessible sounds in the world. There's hundreds of waterfalls. There's native forest. It's just spectacular.
0: Absolutely. And You can do uh, everything from scenic flights to boat tours to kayaking and going swimming in the chilly water, which is a combination <laughs> of the Southern Ocean and runoff from glaciers. Oh, it was cold.
1: Now, one thing to be aware of is a lot of people look at the map and they see how close it is to, from Queenstown and they think they can do it in so many hours. You need to be aware that it's going to take a lot longer than you might expect because the roads are really windy, quite steep. Uh, there are buses that might be going slowly, lots of camper vans. So if you're doing it just as a trip from Queenstown, make sure to allow plenty of time.
0: Thank you of somewhere else that's really popular, Rotorua in the centre of the North Island They have geysers.
1: It's just a crazy place. I was there recently, and I was actually surprised because usually when you travel into Rotorua, the smell hits you. It is a smelly place. I I try to describe it, but it's very hard to describe in an audio environment. It's quite sulfuric, and I think the smell changes according to the day. But as a general rule, it does smell a little bit like rotten eggs.
0: So this is an active volcanic uh, area where there is lots and lots of geothermal activity and lots and lots of springs and small lakes. So these things interact to create these beautiful kind of natural spa pools all over the place. And some of them have turned into kind of luxury boutique uh, kind of spa experiences and others are literally drive down to the end of the road, and if there's space in the lake, you can jump in. It's a bit all over the place, but it's a really exciting place to be.
1: Yeah, so you can visit the spa for mud treatments, or you can take part in adventure activities, especially if you're not going to make it to Queenstown, which is known as the adventure capital of New Zealand. Rotorua has a lot of adventure activities as well. We used to go there when I was a kid, and we'd catch the gondola up the mountain, and there's a luge, so kind of like a go-karting track all the way down the, down the mountain. It was really fun. It was my, my big adventure as a child.
0: Yeah, they have some awesome uh, mountain biking tracks and uh, other bike tracks around the place as well, and good fishing in that area as well uh, for freshwater fish like trout. Great fun.
1: Also, if you're wanting to have some Maori experiences while you're there, Rotorua is a really good place to do it. They have some kind of packaged cultural experiences there. Other places to get your Maori culture, the Auckland Museum, have some really good things. But personally, my favorite thing to do is up in the Bay of Islands, there's a glowworm cave, and it's just run by a local Maori family. It's not a Maori experience at all, but it's just interacting with local people and and kind of being part of the economy, which I really like.
0: Okay, let's talk about food and drink. Point number seven, go wine tasting around the country. And New Zealand has a really vibrant craft beer scene, but it's kind of spread out everywhere. Wine is a little bit more concentrated.
1: What do you mean? The whole country is covered in wine. I don't even know how many wine regions we have. And if I did, it would be the number would be wrong because it feels like there's always a new wine region starting <laughs> up. I mean, just think about... From Auckland, there are four wine regions. I mean, they're not necessarily the most well-known ones, but if you're in Auckland and you want to go and do a day of wine tasting, you can go to four different places. You can go up north to Matacana, which is also a good stop if you're going on your way to Bay of Islands. You can catch the ferry across to Waiheke Island. You can go out to Kumu or down to Clevedon. So, I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> and that's just Auckland. <laughs>
0: Yeah, thinking about the rest of the North Island, I would say the East Coast, around the Hawke's Bay, around Napier area, fantastic wines, all uh, your kind of Bordeaux style. Great varieties are out there, along with some little unusual bits and pieces that you can find if you just keep on hopping around the wineries.
1: Also down around Wellington, there are plenty of places to visit. So many good things.
0: Yeah, you got Martinborough just over the hills there, and yeah, so good.
1: Then also down in the South Island, you've got Marlborough region and Otago. Oh, man, so good. It's pretty easy to go wine tasting just out of Queenstown. So if you are based in Queenstown for a while, you can do a day trip. You can do organized tours as well.
0: And if you're not making it that far south, you can uh, go out to the Pegasus Bay Area, which is just north of Christchurch, really accessible, just less than an hour away from the CBD.
1: So if you do go wine tasting, be aware that many wineries don't charge for tasting. It's becoming more common to charge, but usually it's just a token charge, maybe $5 and then you don't have to pay it if you buy something, something like that, which I actually really approve of. It depends though, on Waiheke they do charge and they charge per tasting, and it's not refunded if you buy something. If you aren't charged for tasting, then it's considered good form to buy something, even if it's just one bottle between two or three people. Of course, you can feel free to buy as many bottles as you like if you like what you taste.
0: Pair that up with some almost unique New Zealand food. And I say almost unique because everything is so closely connected with either Pacific culture or with European culture or with Asian culture. (laughs) We just steal everything. We just steal everything. But a lot of things do have their unique highest and best form found in New Zealand cuisine? Can we say we have a cuisine? I don't think we can. Too much cultural cringe. (laughs) I don't know.
1: Well, one of the best things about New Zealand is that there's so much space. So our animals have lots of space to live and grow. I think almost all of our sheep and cows are reared on grass, and it just adds to a beautiful flavor. So roast lamb from New Zealand, absolutely delicious, especially with freshly picked vegetables and washed down with pinot noir, or maybe a beer if you're
0: that way inclined. Yeah. Savory pies are a big thing, and it took me forever to figure out about a million movie references. It took me until I was in my mid twenties to realize that for like most of North America, pies are sweet. I'm like, so you have dinner, and then you can have pie. I'm like, so a pie is a savory pastry with meat and gravy in the inside. If you're lucky, also some cheese, maybe some black uh, cracked pepper. Wow, Craig, pie. On the beach with LMP, which is a New Zealand soft drink, lemon and pyra, as you may imagine, it is slightly lemon-flavoured and also smells strangely like a town in the middle of the North Island <laughs> it called Pyra.
1: Anything like the town? It was made in the town, which is why it's named after them. But yes, if you want it to smell like that, that's entirely up to you. <laughs> the other thing we often have is fish and chips on the beach. So we have a lot of fish and chip shops. I know that's not unique to New Zealand, but oh, it's just so good. In fact, for our goodbye dinner when we left New Zealand this last time, just a, a month or so ago, we invited all our friends round to our local beach. We went and got some fish and chips, sat on the beach, glass of wine or beer. Beautiful.
0: Perfect. If you are after something sweet, uh, kiwi fruit is kind of a, a, a national fruit. A national fruit, which is yeah. still from China. New Zealand's are called kiwis, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the whole Hawkes Bay region, especially, well known for its kiwi fruit growing.
1: And finally, pavlova, which is our probably national dessert. There is a, a long and wide-standing argument with the Australians over who created it, but basically it's a, a really fluffy
0: meringue. Yeah. I think we give them Russell Crowe and we keep the pavlova. Shake sure. can have the sour, we'll have the sweet.
1: <laughs> okay, let's move on to point number nine, which is to go to an All Blacks match. Now, the All Blacks, our rugby team, is one of the most recognized teams in the world. I think they did a survey of so many thousands of people and found that Manchester United was the most well-known team in the world and the All Blacks was a was number 2.
0: Yeah, it's pretty crazy for a game that's only really competitively played in about 20 countries. Yeah. But they have a ridiculous winning percentage. One of the the best winning percentages over the last 150 years which is a long time for a team to be successful. That's right. So if you do get a chance to go to a game, get there early, be seated at least 10 minutes before kickoff so you don't miss the haka before the game.
1: Yeah, this is the Maori war dance, which the All Blacks do before every game. And it's really quite epic. I mean, you have these 22 guys out there doing this war dance, shouting. Ooh, it's great.
0: If you can't see them, New Zealand will continue to be sports mad, even if you don't like rugby. There's uh, regional super rugby teams. There's also lots of netball, tennis, cricket, and rugby sevens, which is like a faster form of the game, all played pretty much all year round. There'll be something on uh, if you prefer to play games instead of watch them, New Zealand has the highest percentage of golf courses per head of population anywhere in the world, with prices ranging from kind of 5 or $10 a round up to very flash courses where we won't even talk about the price because it makes me cry and I can't go.
1: All right, point number 10. Visit a lesser known area. So we've talked about some of our favorite places, some of the places that we like to go. But are I mean, it's a large country. New Zealand is the same size as the UK or Italy. And I mean, sure, they're not enormous countries, but they are medium sized. And you think about all the places you could go to in the UK or Italy. New Zealand, we don't have quite that density of places to go, but there are some amazing locations You've probably heard of Queenstown or Wanaka. They're very well known. But what about the Bay of Islands? We mentioned that at the beginning of the show as one of our places to go to go whale watching. As well as being great for getting out on the water, it's also great for history.
0: Yeah, it's one of the easiest places, I think, to access Maori and colonial history side by side. We've got some of the first uh, missionary stations in New Zealand from the, the European colonization period, You've also got what was a very strong area for a lot of Maori tribes. And so it all comes together in one place. And, yeah, so cool. So cool.
1: Another place we really like to visit is the east coast of New Zealand. So my dad's just moved to Gisborne. And then just down the coast is Napier, which has got really cool Art Deco architecture. The town was pretty much destroyed in an earthquake in the early 1900s. I think it was 1920s. And it was rebuilt in this Art Deco style. It's
0: so cool. Yeah, and we mentioned it as well for one of the wine regions to get to, and gosh, it's a good base for going out and visiting the wineries.
1: In the South Island, omaru which is south of Christchurch, it's just one of these really interesting places. At one point in the eighteen eighties, it was bigger and growing faster than San Francisco. And reportedly had more gas lighting than London. Can you imagine? More gas lighting than London. In the yeah.
0: 1800s. It's spectacular. mad. Now, it no longer has the tallest building in the Southern Hemisphere, a towering five-story affair. But it is replete with these beautiful buildings of white sandstone. And it's got this whole Victorian steampunk art kind of thing going on in certain areas, which is so funky. There's people on, like, handmade bicycles. Uh-huh. And, yeah, it's, yeah.
1: It's cool. So and- cool. Penguins. It has penguins, which I think is just cool. You can go and watch the penguins run up the beach on their way to bed every
0: night. (laughs) Nice. I guess if you wake up early enough, you can see them going out fishing for the day. But who does that? (laughs) Who does that? There are so many little cool places in New Zealand. I wish we had time to talk about more, but we just don't. So let's wrap up there and say thanks to our sponsor for this episode, worldnomads.com.
1: Worldnomers.com is especially great for when you're already traveling and for long trips. As we said earlier, we spent ages trying to find a provider who would cover us in certain situations, and they were the ones who could do it.
0: I like that they emphasize ethical and responsible travel. As part of their undertaking to make a difference, they've published articles about all sorts of things, like whether you should boycott Myanmar or not, the use of plastic, how to reduce trash while traveling, whether you should do slum tours or not. So they're not afraid to get in and mix it up and be part of the conversation.
1: They're also very big on community project funding. So they create and manage a charitable arm, which raises money for community-based projects like fresh-running water for a village in Peru, solar lanterns in an African village, and, of course, travel insurance. So all of that's funded by the
0: profits from the travel insurance
1: that's designed for travelers like us.
0: Check it out, worldnomads.com. So what are we up to over the next little while, Linda?
1: Well, we're currently in Porto. We have just arrived and checked into our accommodation. We couldn't check in until 2 o'clock, so we had to go and have some lunch. It was delicious. It
0: was, as one would expect. I'm looking forward to getting into a uh, Francis Senior or two over the next week. Probably not more than that, because I think <laughs> if you eat one a day, you'd actually explode. Mm. These are these amazing, uh, how to simplify it, toasted sandwiches that kind are of. multi-layered with like several different types of meat, different types of cheese, curry sauce. It, and it comes out like a brick of food yeah. and it is glorious. And
1: it's covered with a sauce. I think that's an important factor because you have to eat it with a knife and fork. If you tried to eat it with your hands, I I don't know. I can't even imagine it, to tell you the truth. So it's quite a spectacular thing. And last time we were here, someone actually ordered a vegetarian one, and it looked pretty good. I was amazed that they could do that. But, yeah, it was possible.
0: Each to their own.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we'll be eating that tomorrow night. I think Craig's already decided not to eat anything until then. (laughs) But, yeah, we're really looking forward to it. Uh, This weekend we've got a WordCamp. So Craig will be speaking about WordPress and other exciting things.
0: Is there anything else as exciting as that? I, don't think, so. I
1: don't, <laughs> don't think so. And then next week we're heading to Alcaladianares, Henares, where I did my masters a few years ago to pick up some stuff that we left there yeah. and visit mm. some friends. To reminisce, reminisce, to see friends. Eat tapas.
0: Eat good tapas. It's going to be great. Absolutely.
1: Now, before we sign off, and I know you've been waiting for this habanero music, I just wanted to let you know that in about a month or so, we're going to be doing an interview with Phil Sylvester of World Nomads, our sponsor for this episode, and he's a travel safety expert from World Nomads. And if you'd like, you can send through any questions you have about travel insurance or travel safety or weird and wacky insurance claims just send them through to mail at IndieTravelPodcast.com and we can ask Phil as part of the interview. So yeah, that'd be really fun. Now be aware he can't answer questions like, will you pay out on my claim? That kind of thing, just we can't do it. Sorry about that. Well, that's us for this week. Until next time, travel well and enjoy the music.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm ser lo oficial si quieren de aquí y ahora